Well, yeah, I have a very sort of ambivalent view of myself as um, as an artist or as a filmmaker. I mean, somebody once, when I was first starting in films in New York, says, if you want something on your gravestone in, your, in the film business, I think the best thing is filmmaker. If you can honestly say that, that's all you need to say. And that's, uh, that I think what I would like that on my gravestone, along with whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Horror Haven Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And today we are taking a look at Wes Craven's work. Uh, We're going to be looking at movies from the beginning, middle, and end of his career. We're going to be looking at The Last House on the Left from 1972, The People Under the Stairs from 1991, and My Soul to Take from 2010. It rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. Here is the first motion picture to offer to the daring a look into the final maddening space between life and death. Last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Sights and sounds far beyond anything you've tested. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Take as much as you can. Starting out with Last House on the Left, it was released in 1972. It was written, directed, and edited by Wes Craven. It was produced by Sean S. Cunningham, who would go on to make Friday the 13th. The movie revolves around a girl named Mary and her friend Phyllis, who are going to a concert in New York. They stop by this apartment building looking to buy some weed, and they end up getting kidnapped, raped, tortured, killed by these four uh, people. They're wanted by the police. Later in the film, the people go to Mary's parents' house to spend the night because their car is broken down. Mary's parents find out what had happened to their daughter, and they take revenge out on these four killers. Crime. Crime moita. It's just an interesting concept. To go from being, like, the killer to the ones being hunted, it's just, like, it's, it's just an interesting concept, and it's... I think it's a really original on its own, especially just considering the fact that I guess, like, it, it, thinking about it, like, it's just, you're, when you think of a horror movie, it's pretty much cut and dry. You know that you have your your killers or a creature killing or a person or a group of people or whatever. But it's kind of always interesting when you come across that movie where the the flip, the script kind of gets flipped on it. And yeah. it, you, you kind of get, like, I, I don't know, like, it was, it's definitely a horror movie, but it's just, like, it's, it, it was, it's just such an interesting concept, and I think that's why it, I personally think that it's such an awesome movie, and I really enjoyed it. It was definitely way ahead of its time, too, because this came out in 72, you're coming out of the 60s, which really had, like, up to this point, very tame horror for the mm-hmm. most part, and then you have this movie that was so, like, brutally done, to the point where Wes Craven cut, like, 20 minutes out of the movie, and it still was receiving an X rating, so, I mean, by today's standards, there's absolutely worse movies, but it's still crazy to watch this movie that came out, you know, what is it now, 45 years 45, ago, yeah. and it's still, like, a, there's parts that are hard to watch because of how realistic it, it mm-hmm. is, and, you know, one of the things that took me away a little bit from the movie, it was really one of my only complaints with it, was uh, the same thing that 
the town that Dreaded Sundown would later go on and do the like humor in between with the police. Uh, like it, it kind of took away from it, but I don't know if it, this was the intention. But I almost feel like that was put in to like ease the the like how dark it was yeah. because it's cutting between like this torture and rape of these two girls to like these police officers and like this slapstick humor, and it's like. It almost, like, relieves it a little bit, but it, it took me out of it a little bit at the same time. This film definitely, like, you know, uh, broke impact for its time, kind of like Cannibal Holocaust. It had this uh, crazy, uh, you know, like, intensity to it that had never been done. Even, like, the trailer was, like, remind yourself it's only a movie. It's only a movie because yeah. I don't think it never had, like, mo- any movie was really, like, that intense. yeah. I mean, we. It was funny too because I I threw the trailer on when we were getting ready to watch the movie, and uh, Sierra didn't realize that that's what this was from. That it's only a movie. It's only a movie because you know I you hear I've heard it in other places before, but Sierra's like, oh, I didn't realize that that was that movie, and I was like, yeah, the it, it's it's kind of yeah. cool to see where it came from. I think I first saw this. When I was 11, and I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, there were two movies that I wasn't allowed to watch until I turned uh, 14. And it was I Spit on Your Grave, the original, mm-hmm. and The Last House on the Left. Those were, like, the two movies my mom said, absolutely not. Like, you cannot fucking watch these movies until you're at least 14 years of age. <laughs> so I ended up seeing it, like I said, secretly at 11. And I exposed myself by talking to my cousin about it. And my mom found out because she overheard my conversation. And I got grounded for, like, a week. And you know what? Like, I I completely agree with her. Like, I was not ready to see that (laughs) at the age of 11. And, like, nah, yeah, I should have not seen that. Because that was, it fucking, like, I almost sat there kind of like, what the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) It's something that I definitely wouldn't show, like, younger my my kids. (laughs) It's definitely not something for younger kids. Kind of touching base back on what Dylan was saying with like the the humor in it. I think that it was. It, I think it was done a little more tastefully in in this than in Town That Dreaded Sundown. Like, I, and I liked I liked it in Town That Dreaded Sundown. And I said that I you know I I don't mind that kind of like comic relief. Um. But I think that it fit better with this than I think it did with Town the Dreaded Sundown. Yeah, I agree. And it wasn't as unbearable as Town the Dreaded yeah. Sundown because it was, like, quick, like, two-minute scenes. It wasn't, like, this crazy thing happened and then you have, like, a ten-minute scene with the police officers. And yeah. you're just like, come on, like, get back to the story. Like, it, it was back and forth quite a bit, but... If that was the reason they put it in, and I'm sure that somewhere out there there is the actual reason why they have it, whether it be that or not, but that's what I took away from it. Yeah. I I heard there's, like, no way to get an uncut, like, an actual, truly uncut copy of this movie. I I read online that um, Wes Craven cut 20 minutes of the movie out, and they still gave it an X rating, so he added all of the same footage back in and went to a friend of his that was on the... MPAA board and got it passed with an R rating by like talking to his friend. So from what I read, it was the uncut version that was released. But the internet has lied to me many times before. So yeah, I heard it's like super hot, like hard to get a copy of like the complete uncut version on DVD or whatever. I don't know. It's it's crazy. I wouldn't. I kind of want to see like I'm curious to see like what was cut. You know, um, since it was so heavily cut. Well, I mean, if it was, like, cut and released heavily cut, the stuff they left in was pretty, like, brutal, so I can only imagine imagine what they left in there. Yeah. (laughs) So, this movie for me, if you listen to past episodes, you know I do not do rape scenes. I cannot do it. This movie, I went in, I was like, alright, I'm not gonna be able to fucking handle this movie. Like, I don't know what it is, but I can't fucking watch it. And I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> it's it, it really is. It's a really good movie. And, like, I don't... I, I, I've seen this movie before. And so, like, watching it... Watching it again, it's 
it doesn't lose its shock value. And it's like, it's like I spit on your grave. It doesn't, it doesn't lose its shock value. Like you can watch it 10 times and it's still, it still holds the same emotional effects on you that it, you had the first time you watched it. Um, which is, which is really awesome because for me anyway, because I, I tend to get, I have a hard time repeat watching movies and same thing for like books. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty, pretty good memory. So like when I watch something or I read something, it never ever has the same effect on me reading it again. So I get bored with it and I never finish it. Or like if it's something that I've enjoyed, I'll be like, Oh, Hey, let's put this on. But I never really watch it as in depth as I do the first time. But uh, these ones, this movie, um, and there've been a couple other ones that we've discussed before where they just, they, they don't lose that value. They, there's they just hold you and you you watch them and you're like this is just as fucked up as i as as the first time i saw it and i i think that just kind of shows how well it was done i'm you know it was for its time it was done it was obviously a very unique concept and it was something that was very taboo and it was kind of you know like people just like seeing that is it, it's got such a shock value to it that even even nowadays by our standards it's still like something that you're just like well what the fuck is that yeah. <laughs> i can see why they went about it the way they did too because it's like the scenes that they put in with like the torturing the raping and them just fucking with it it made you hate the the villains mm-hmm. of the movie so much to the point where when the parents do start getting their revenge, you're, like, cheering it on. You're like, yeah. yes, fucking kill them. This is what I've been waiting for. They're fucking assholes. So I, I can definitely, like, appreciate the way they, they went about it. I, I also love, too, that for Wes Craven, you know, this was his first movie, really. I mean, he made – I'm touching on it a little bit. Before this, he made porn. Like, he was a porn director. He – has gone on and said that he's made like a ton of pornos but uh this was his first time where he's like all right i'm gonna go into horror and for his first time he did fucking awesome and it's a movie that has stuck for this long i think that goes to show like true talent for sure oh yeah i mean it was a big loss when we did lose wes craven because of his talented work and for this to be your debut film and still have this kind of impact, because, like, I got to agree with Erica, like, I've seen this movie, like, twice before, and recently watching it again, like, the shock value is still there. And what really fucks me up is how, like, imagine you're so close to your home. Yeah. And you're getting killed right there. And, you like, all you have to do is just kind of make a run for it, but you can't. Like, that's got to be the worst. I'd rather, mm-hmm. if I'm going to be killed by someone, like, I'd rather it be, like, out somewhere where I'm not familiar. Not where I'm, like, literally home yeah. in, like, my backyard. Like, that's got to be the worst feeling. And I kept thinking about that. I was like, this girl, if she was able to break for it, she'd be good. But due to the circumstances, like, there's no way she's getting away. And it's just, it sucks. And then when you see after, like, she's raped and, she just walks into the water like that was her just giving up like I'm done, and then they just shoot her and it was that was a very powerful scene. Yeah, for sure. And like I, I feel like this whole movie, like it just teased the people watching it because there's so many points in the movie where you're like, okay, they're gonna get away, or like yeah. um, the one fucking guy who looked like Shia LaBeouf on crack, like maybe he's uh. <laughs> Maybe he's gonna let her go help her escape and it's like no that doesn't happen like there's so many times where like the first time watching you're like okay maybe one of them gets away like when Phyllis is like she sees the road and you're like okay cool she's gonna get help it doesn't happen and it's like it teases you into thinking okay like this is gonna work out and it completely strips you of that so I, I thought that that was something very cool that they had done with it yeah i've seen i've seen the remake of this and the, it's it's one of those movies that i actually think was i think it was done well like the remake was done well mm-hmm. and i think that it has to a lot to do with the story 
Yeah. I, well, I, uh, Wes Craven also produced mm-hmm. the the remake. Yeah, I just like it's one of those things though. But like even and we we've we've done a remake episode and it's remakes are so hit or miss most of the time. Ninety percent of the time, I, I would say they're misses. And I I think that um, even with this with with the remake, the the remake was done well. And I, I think that that has a lot to do with um, with the storyline. And I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for this, but I, I personally feel like Wes Craven's. I like I like his movies. I do. I like I like a lot of his movies. But I think that he started out his career extremely strong with this film. And as we go on discussing some of the other films that we did in this episode, I kind of feel like as it progressed, and I don't know if it's a time thing or just just his style, but I, I kind of feel like they they lost a lot of their their value to me. And I, I mean they're they're all they're all decent for their own for their own rights. Like they, they all have something positive to take from them. As far as, like, films go, but I I feel like towards the end of his career, I just, I, the quality of the movie was was lacking for me. I can see that. I I feel like with Wes Craven, for me, it's always been, like, you have his movies that are, like, they're fucking great. There's this, uh, The People Under the Stairs, Mm -hmm. which we're also covering in this episode, Um, Shocker, The Serpent and the Rainbow... A Nightmare on Elm Street, yep. Scream, which, I mean, to create two of the most iconic horror movie characters, like, not just one, but two, yeah, like, you're doing good, but then there's other ones, like, My Soul to Take, the sequels to Scream, like, Scream, <laughs> where you're just kind of yeah. like, what, what made you think this was a good idea? Yeah. And, and even, well, I, and I'll discuss, like, I'll, I'll tell you guys a lot more about how I felt with, um, My Soul to Take, because I, I... I didn't think it was that bad, but we'll get on to that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But um, back to Last House. So the uh, the parents end up taking revenge on Krug and his accomplices. Gang. gang. Yeah, gang. There you go. Um, which, can we mention Krug's name? Yeah. <laughs> Krug, which would later go on Freddy Krueger. Freddy um, Krueger, it, it it's pretty cool how it happens, how it goes down. Um, uh, Weasel, uh, he has the dream where he like wakes up and the family's like performing surgery over him, and you're like, "Yo, this is fucked," but it turns out to be a dream, and then he gets his fucking dick bit off. <laughs> That's all I had to say about that. <laughs> yeah, the the dream sequence was pretty cringeworthy. Like you know, you thought you were gonna get to see his teeth knocked out, but yeah, to get uh your dick ripped off my teeth ouch like that's but you know what the fucker had it coming so oh yeah they all did which is why yeah, I mean, yeah. and you know what this family is fucking genius like I felt like I was watching a grown up home alone like the dad setting the yeah. traps with like the <laughs> wires underneath the carpet and then he pours the uh water on the carpet and then like so when they go to touch the doorknob they get electrocuted I was like fuck that's good but like that fucking payoff scene at the end, though, where the dad comes up the stairs with the chainsaw and Krug's just like, I'm fucked. Like, that yeah. that was, like, unforgettable. I wish... My, my biggest thing with this movie was the beginning went on and then you get to the point where they get to the family's house and you're like, all right, shit's going to start going down. I would have wanted to see the family mess with these people a little bit more. It, like... By the time they get to the house and the family realizes what's going on, there's only like 15, 20 minutes left of the movie. Yeah. So I was like, it would have. It, it felt been. longer watching it for sure. Like watching it, I was like, this seems a lot longer. But it, I would have liked to see them fuck with them a little bit more, and like, because I feel like what they put uh, Mary and Phyllis through was not nearly as bad as what they were put through. But it was justifiable. Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Like, yeah, the the chainsaw coming up the stairs from the dad, I was like, fuck yeah! Leatherface that motherfucker! <laughs> Pre-Leatherface. And even the mom, when she fucking... She slashed, uh, what's her name's throat? I can't remember the name of the girl uh, that was the female accomplice, but... It was Sadie. Slashes yeah, her throat. <laughs> I was like, yes! Yes! Like, good for you. Yeah, it, it was done well for sure. Did anyone notice real quick the one cop? 
uh, Cobra Kai Sensei sweep the leg. <laughs> Man, I wonder how old he was in that. Like, he definitely looked a lot younger, for sure. I, I was like, holy shit, dude. Why aren't you sweeping the legs right now? Like, this, you fucking need your Cobra Kai to get going. He's too busy trying to fucking hitch rides in fucking chicken trucks. Yeah. <laughs> nah, you, you had fucking Crackhead Shia LaBeouf, um, Mobster Mel Gibson, and Sylvester Stallone. Those were the killers. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's what me and Sierra were like making names for all of them as we're watching. <laughs> no, I mean, all in all, I mean, it's a very cut and dry movie. It's, it's unique for what it does, and it's cool how it has like the coincidental event that leads to you basically getting two stories, two yeah. movies put in one. I, I think it was ahead of its time and a great start to a noteworthy career. Absolutely. And you guys want to bust into some ratings? Yeah, let's do it. This movie uh, made waves and uh, you know broke grounds. And for your debut film, man, you went above and beyond, West. Like we truly miss you, because like that that even like I said, it still holds up today as an intense movie. So a solid eight. Eight. All right. I I think that this for for his first film, I I think he blew it out of the water with this one. I really did. Um, an it really really interesting concept uh like dylan pointed out kind of getting that like two storylines in in the same one um it's just it's so it's it's just kind of like uh it was so unique just to kind of see how it went from you know it starts out and you're you're getting this like torture and the rape of the girls and you're like you know this is this is really dark and even after they get get to the house and they start getting what what they deserve uh it's still dark but you're like it lightens the whole mood yeah. <laughs> like and you're, you're rooting for it you're like yeah this is awesome this is this is really awesome and it's it, it was a really really good movie i enjoyed watching it um and it's it's definitely one that if you haven't seen it, watch with caution if you're <laughs> if you're touchy on those subjects, but it's definitely worth the watch. Um, I, I'm going to give it a 7.7. 7. Right, so touching a little bit on what you'd said, Erica, because it's something that I, I wanted to bring up before. Um, you do, when you, for me it was like, you have this very intense beginning to the movie to where as everything's going on, you're very like, I, I don't know. I was very like tensed up watching it. Like this mm-hmm. is fucking hard to watch. And you get to the point where they get to the house and it was almost like I felt completely at ease at that point. Yeah. Like I know that nothing else bad is going to happen to innocent people. And like the rest is just going to be something to fucking enjoy. I was like, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of this. And you know, <sighs> There were certain things that I didn't like so much about the movie. Uh, like I said before, the humor with the cops. Another thing that really took me out of the movie was the soundtrack, which we didn't touch on too much. Like, it was very, like, late 60s, early 70s, like, that style mm-hmm. music. And it, it wasn't a typical horror soundtrack, so I feel like it took away from it a little bit for me. But all in all, they're minor things in something that is such a great film and i'm really glad that i told myself stop being a fucking pussy and watch this movie (laughs) um so for me probably one of my favorites that we've covered since we started doing this podcast um i'm gonna give it an 8.6 whoa damn man that's that's a pretty high rating (laughs) so that gives an average of an 8.1 i think that's pretty good all right, so the Instagram average rating was an 8.9. There wow. we go. Thanks, guys. <laughs> right on. But, uh, yeah, people really had some great stuff to say about it. Uh, I'm going to go out and say the moral of this movie is don't do the devil's lettuce. Because <laughs> if they didn't go looking for the devil's lettuce, they wouldn't have gotten the situation. Drugs kill. Stay in school. 
There you go. Let's move you on. Heard it from Dylan. A PSA from Dylan Jarvis. <laughs> Let's move on to the people under the stairs. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in here. But we gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. Ah! There must be another way out. Can't get out. No one ever has. What goes on in this house is a sin. Your father's one sick mother, you know that? Actually, your mother's one sick mother, too. But what goes on under the stairs <laughs> is a nightmare. It is time to clean house! Scravens, the people under the stairs. So, the people under the stairs was released in 1991. Once again, uh, written and directed by Wes Craven. It follows a young boy named Fool. Well, he goes by Fool. Um, his Give him his real name. Point Give Dexter. him the real name. Point Dexter. <laughs> uh, so, his mom is sick. Um, she can't afford to pay for their house that they're or the apartment that they're living in. And they're the last family in this neighborhood of buildings that's being bought up by these rich people to be turned into, like, newer condominiums condominiums and business offices. offices. So Fool hears that there's this treasure hidden at this old house that they could go and pay for his mom's surgery and to stay in the apartment. So he goes with... Putting my cheat sheet away. The fucking dude from the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Sure was. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, Leroy. He goes with Leroy to the house, and they start getting stuck because the house is rigged with all these traps to keep them in the house. There's the fucking leather-suited dude from American Horror Story Season 1. He's chasing him down. <laughs> <laughs> He's chasing him down, and... Uh, it, you come to find out that it's this brother and sister who have this weird fucking relationship where the brother is the dad when he puts on this leather suit or he's the son at certain times or like it, it's just You're fucking very, weird. Yeah, it's fucking weird. But they're kidnapping kids and trying to make this like perfect family. They have this girl named Alice who they have kept in the house and in the basement there is a ton of boys who have become like i guess deformed in ways because they've been kept in this basement for so long uh they're all like rejects from this experiment of finding like the perfect son to have in the house Mm -hmm. so fool ends up getting trapped in the house he escapes but he escapes without alice and decides to go back and get revenge on this family get alice free and finds more money that's always a plus. Finds the gold, y'all. And that's it. Happy endings for all. Um, for me, this movie was the perfect mixture of The Goonies and American, American Horror, Horror Story, Story season, season one. one. That's exactly <laughs> what I said watching it. I was like, this is The Goonies meets American Horror Story season one. Murder House. The only good one. Did you notice who the uh, the brother, dad, son, dude in the leather suit was? He was yeah, Silver Bullet. Yeah, priest from Silver, Silver Bullet, Bullet, yeah. yeah. Yep, I was really sad we didn't see Gary Busey in the basement, though. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, That's a wild Gary Busey in the basement? Holy shit. He could have been there. I mean, he looks very similar to uh, <laughs> some of the kids down there. But I, I thought this movie was really interesting because, again, uh, a word that we're probably going to use a billion times in this episode because we used it before... Um, it was very unique. Yeah. It did have elements that were like, fuck, this is just like the Goonies. I mean, obviously it came out before American Horror Story, but 
there was things from the Goonies that you're like, okay, like, the kids trying to find this treasure to, like, yeah. so that they can stay in their house. and So... It, it had that, like, adventure feel to it almost. But what I thought was unique about this movie was you would almost expect going in and hearing the title of the movie and everything that the children under the stairs are the villains of the movie. Like, that's going to be the scary aspect, but it's not. It's really the people in the house. And the people under the stairs are the good guys. They're helping fool. They become friends with him. Like, fool! Mm-hmm. Fool! <laughs> Yeah, you have Roach, whose tongue's cut out. Yo, bro- <laughs> oh my god. He, favorite character. He was Hands cool. down. He was really cool. I fucking cool. love Roach. He took a bullet for his boy. You know, that's respect. But it, it, it's great. It was a great movie. And, you know, it Fool escapes with the, the gold. And you almost, ex- like, they could have ended the movie there. And it would have been a somewhat satisfying movie. But going back and having that payoff at the end, it was great. I love that the fucking, uh, the people under the stairs, the kids, like, they bust through the fucking walls. And at the, the end, and when yeah. the money's, like, flying around and they're, like, hauling ass out of the neighborhood. And they're, that like, was the most <laughs> 90s ending to a movie yep. ever. There's fucking, Hell like, yeah. rap music playing and the fucking money falling from the sky. You're like, this is a fucking 90s movie, right? Here. Yeah, and then these green guys with long hair are, like, fucking just running through the neighborhood. Like, yeah. totally out. Um, Didn't the one look like uh, Aaron Gillespie? Yeah. The drummer of Wonder Oath? Yeah. <laughs> this, the one that uh, that shows Fool where the money is. Yeah. I was... Dan and I always joke every time we see him, we're like, yo, Aaron Gillespie. <laughs> yeah. Right there. This whole movie was just, like Dylan said, with with the word unique, it really was. And it's it's interesting because it's so different from Last House on the Left. Like, it, it's, you know that it's done by the same person, but if you didn't have that information, I think that you, it would be hard to tell. Well, it's funny because uh, Sarah wanted to bring this up on the episode. We kicked her out of the show, so she no longer, no, I'm just kidding. She had to miss tonight's episode. Um, she brought up when we were talking about the movies that, uh, you know, we talked last week about Steven Spielberg and how almost every one of his movies, you watch it and you can tell, like, all right, this is a Spielberg mm-hmm. movie. Like, it, it has that feel to it. Wes Craven, there's really no two movies that are like, okay, this is very similar to what he did in this movie. Like, every idea that he comes up with is, like, this new idea. So. Which is interesting, considering he started out doing porn. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's different kinds of porn, just like there's different kinds of horror, so. Lots to yep. explore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love this movie. Uh, this is a, definitely a personal favorite. I saw it with my cousins when I was young, and was, like, instantly hooked. Like, some a movie I could probably watch once a month and not get tired of it, to be honest. Like, I love all the one-liners from Fool. Like, he was the perfect lead in this movie. And even, uh, what was his name? Was it Leroy? Yep. Yeah, oh my gosh, I got dumb. Pop, this house is cherry. (laughs) Like, the shit he was saying, too. Like, him and Fool, you could literally have made a sitcom of them, too. And I would have watched it. Well, what's cool about this movie is, Erica said it, too. Like, I've complained in past episodes, like, I'm not a big fan of, like, cheesy horror, and this movie did have some cheesy aspects to it, but it was tastefully done. Yeah, it was so well, it was just a well-rounded movie, like, I watched it with Marshall, and, Mm -hmm. uh, I watched it with my brother, and he, this is not his style of horror at all, like, Mm -hmm. not even slightly, (laughs) and he was like, yo, this is a really good movie, and he, he really liked it, so watching it with somebody who definitely like this this is this it, to me wasn't um it was right up my alley with the with the cheesiness but it was done it was just such a different movie and it was it was fun to watch like it was still a horror movie and it still had its its creepy aspects to it but it was you never knew what the fuck was going to pop out. Like, yeah. the guy... All, there was no rhyme or reason for the leather suit, but it made it all the more better that he had it on. And he was running through the house like a lunatic with a shotgun and in a full <laughs> fucking leather <laughs> leather down gear, like, ready to roll. And then he's like... I got you! The, yeah, and then the cops show up, and she gets on a loudspeaker, and she's like... 
calling him down and he's like first off i do just want to touch base on the fact that those people would have so much more fucking living space if they didn't have all those crawl spaces in their house (laughs) there's got to be a good three feet of wide open gaps between every room just in the walls (laughs) i like when he uh he uh thinks he stabbed fool through the wall but really, it's his dog the Prince. Dog. He's just prancing around the house with a bayonet. He's like, God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, I'm like, God damn, dude. Did you, like, this guy is so fucking crazy. Did you catch the, the dog's real name? And I didn't catch it until actually the end in the, the credits. The dog's name was actually, like, the actual name of the dog was Brutus. Um, and for the movie, the dog's name in the movie was Prince. And the scene right before he lets the dog, like, loose on them, he's holding the dog back. Mm. And he's trying to calm the dog down, and he calls him Brutus. Oh, really? Yeah, and then, because I thought, like, for, like, the whole movie, I thought the dog's name was Brutus until he killed the dog, and he was like, oh, Prince, and I was like, what? It's not (laughs) the dog's name. And then, like, when I saw the credits, and I was like, oh, he must have, like, they must have just, like, missed it on editing, but he was, like, trying to actually, like, calm the dog down before releasing him, and he called him, called him by his real name. That's a good catch. I didn't catch that. Uh, what What I liked about this movie, too, like... The characters in the movie were very believable characters. Like, I don't know, maybe not so much the, like, psycho family, but, like, Fool, like, his character, his story, like, it's a believable story. Mm -hmm. It's things that happen every day. It's not this, like, typical horror movie, like, spoiled rich kid family. Like, it's, it's nothing like that. It's something that people can relate to and really follow the film in that way. Um, this movie, while it has its horror elements for sure, I definitely classify this as a horror movie. It's one of those horror movies that, like, watching it, I had a lot of fun watching it. Like, I was super into it, and I was, like, getting excited. I was yeah. like, this is fucking fun. Like, it, it takes you on a ride, and I think that that's... Oh, if, yeah. if if you can make a movie that is enjoyable to watch, then you have succeeded in making a movie. Uh, like, there's so many lines I could just like recite and moments I could just like recall. Like, it just it really stuck with me from start to finish. This movie is just fucking like absolutely amazing. I love all the characters in it, even like the 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 people under the stairs, like. Especially, like I said, Aaron Gillespie. Roach was my all-time favorite. I was, like, genuinely upset when he died. I thought he was just... Like, how he just kept popping up every time, like, out of nowhere. It was awesome. And, like, how many times the dad got hit in the head was just completely comedic. Oh, my God, my favorite... No, my favorite one was where he's, like, about to climb up the the chimney and fool drops the brick down the chimney yeah. oh my god i fucking love that scene See, my favorite was that when he stuck his head through the hole in the wall or hole in the bathroom door and he a fool smokes him with the back of the toilet lid <laughs> Dude, yeah had some brain damage yeah that. i was like and then he disappeared through the medicine cabinet and he couldn't figure out how he had gotten through the medicine cabinet oh man it is a wild ride that movie the best way to describe it Oh, yeah. And, like, cool, familiar faces. You also got Fool Sister, who was in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, and she was in uh, Friday the 13th Part 6 as well. I can't remember her name, but she is in uh, those two movies for sure, so it was nice to see another familiar face from, like, the world of horror. Yeah. One vibe that I got from this movie... Um, and it, it, I don't know if it was just me, it probably was, but, like, it, I got a lot of, like, creep show vibes, mm-hmm. and, like, um, Tales from the Crypt, like, EC Comics type yeah. vibes, because it has that theme, like, it has the, like I said when we, uh, I don't know if I brought it up in the Creep Show episode, but like I said before, you, you have fun watching it, but it also has that similar theme of, like, poetic justice like these people are just shitty people they're stealing money they're stealing kids they're kicking people out of their homes and they get their fucking justice at the end and when you have the the mom being cornered by all the people under the stairs like and they just start fucking tearing her apart like that could have been an episode of tales from the crypt yeah yeah i could definitely see that yo how about the scene of like Daddy, because that's what I'm just going to call him, because I don't know what else to fucking call him. 
when he's like, yo, you got to give Fulk some credit for keeping his composure. I know, that's so weird. Yeah, I'm just going to call him daddy. <laughs> that's all I heard, Nova's but, like, okay. <laughs> but uh, when, he's ta- when he first gets caught and put in the basement and uh, Leroy is getting like literally sliced up and gutted right, right next to him, I'm like, fuck, man. Like, that is yeah. such a crazy thing to witness in person. And then, like, he throws it to the kids <laughs> on the stairs. He's like, I like to keep them real hungry. And shit, I'm just like... I was that, really... that was, like, horror scene, like, done strong. Yeah. For sure. I was really disappointed that the, all of those hungry-ass kids in the basement couldn't break through the pallet wall. <laughs> they couldn't break through the pallet wall, but they break through the fucking actual walls and the stairs. The dude reaches through the fucking stairs. We were watching it, and Sierra's like, whoa, how do you do that? I'm like, Sierra, he's lived in that fucking basement his whole life. Homeboy probably does push-ups to pass the time. Like, <laughs> I was like, it, all this time, and it's going to take this little kid to finally be like, oh, shit, yeah, let's get out of here. Yeah. But, I, I don't know. Overall, like, I really didn't have too many complaints with the movie. I, I want to know how he blew up that fucking room and not any of that money burnt. <laughs> I <laughs> know, right? He used sticks of dynamite and was like, yeah, fuck it, I got it. Th- that's what, like, it, it's stupid little shit like that, though, that makes the movie enjoyable. Because you're like, that, there's no fucking way, but you're laughing. You're like, don't even like, question yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> just like, alright, whatever, just go with it. Like, like going back to the fucking leather suit, there was no <laughs> rhyme or reason for him to put the full gear on to go hunt a kid. The kid was loose in the house, he knew that their house was broken into, and that one of the culprits was still in the house. And the first thing that come to this guy's head is... Yo, I'm gonna suit up in my leather gear and grab my gun. This fucker is going down. Like, like, I wonder how many people could have gotten away in the time it took to suit the fuck up in that leather suit. Right? Like, hold on. <laughs> let me get. Let me get my fucking my gear on. This we're going. We're gonna go fucking hunt this guy. Like, random little thing that I caught on to in this movie, and it it resonates in other movies of Wes Craven's too. Is um, in Last House on the Left. After Mary gets raped and everything, she's walking away, and she does the, like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pr- play... The Lord's pray, Prayer, yeah. Yeah, the Lord's Prayer. I can't fucking speak today. But um, in this movie, they have it, and it's playing on the tape recorder that the brother and sister have playing in the room to try and, like, fool, mm-hmm. fool to uh, thinking that they're in there. And then uh, the third movie that we're covering is My Soul, Soul to Take. take. And, and the, it was above his head. Yeah, and it's like... You also have, I, I know they say it in, like, Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously, yep. but it, I just think that's cool that that's carried on throughout the Like a theme, movies, yeah, yeah. Like they just kind of move along. That is really cool. I didn't even notice that. Good look at that Yeah, But, uh, yeah. You guys want to get into ratings for the people under the stairs? Yeah. Sure. Start to finish, this movie was amazing. I loved Roach. I loved Fool, Leroy. So many of the characters. A lot of familiar faces. I love the soundtrack, 90 as fuck. You know, the ending, 90 as fuck, like you said. Um, it does take you on a wild ride. There's some poetic justice. Uh, you know, what's what's not to love? Sure, it's not the scariest movie, but there are plenty of horror elements in it. And overall, it's just a fun movie to watch. You know, you, you just have a completely great time. And uh, this again, this is a movie I could watch at least once a month, so... I'm going to give this movie a solid nine. Wow. All right. Erica? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly, I really like this movie. <laughs> like, there was, it was, it was cheesy, but it was like, it wasn't bad cheesy. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, it's definitely one that you want to watch with like, I, I watched it with just me and my brother and we were dying the whole time mm-hmm. but like it's it's one you could watch by yourself or with a group of friends and you can just like get a good chuckle at it but still at the same time appreciate it for what it is um it's really interesting especially doing an episode like this where we're covering all Wes Craven movies to see his development as as a director and a writer and seeing him go from last house on on the left which was the beginning to this being the middle of his career um you can see not only the change in the time, but you can kind of see how he molds himself to fit in that era. Uh, I don't think that, like I said, he he's very versatile. 
which you're starting to see here, and you'll you'll see even more as as you progress through um, through his films uh, into the, like the later stages in his life. But um, it was just done well. It, it's you know it's got it's got a little bit for everybody. Definitely got the the Goonie vibes, and uh, which I, I love the Goonie. So I think that that's probably played a lot into why I enjoyed this so much. It was basically an adult version of the Goonies. <laughs> um, and I, I thought it was awesome. I, I think I'm going to give this an... I'm give an 8.5. Okay. Right on. Alright, so for me, I, I really enjoyed watching the movie. Like I said before, it's a movie that I had a lot of fun watching. It's a movie that, I mean, if you can get past, like, bad language, if you care about that, like, I would show this to my kids in the future. Yeah. Um, it's a good, like, starting point for horror, I feel, because it has the right amount of, like, humor. It has, like, the adventurous feel to it, but it has that horror aspect to it. Um, one thing that I noticed in this and Last House on the Left and pretty much all of Wes Craven's work is that the ideas he comes up with and the way he executes things, they're not things that age poorly. It's all, like, storylines or things that are carried out in a way that, you know... Last House, 45 years later, it's still just as effective, it's still as good, it's still as real. Um, this movie, you know, 26 years later, it's, you know, it's still as good, uh, it's fun. It's not something that you're like, oh, you know, this was probably a lot better back then, but now it sucks. Like, it, it had yeah, it, it had cool. no aspect of that to it, and I, I thought that was great, but... Overall, I think I'd probably give this an 8. So, all in all, that gives this an 8.5 rating. So, our Instagram average rating for this movie was an 8.9 also. Thanks, guys. (laughs) We appreciate you. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake... I pray the Lord. My soul to take. No! Please! No! Alright! The fucking Grand Dakota! Here we go. <laughs> 2010's My Soul to Take. You guys ready for this one? So this was the second to last movie that Wes Craven wrote and directed. Uh, The last film that he wrote and directed was Scream 4, which we covered in our previous Scream episode. So if you want to hear our thoughts on that, go back and check it out. This movie came out in 2010. It followed a group of seven kids Mm -hmm. who were all born on the same night in this town that this serial killer in the town was murdered. Well, not murdered, but killed by the cops because, you know, he's a serial killer. So these seven kids all believe in this legend, you know, the killer's still alive. And they start dying one by one. Uh, The main character, Bug, he starts, like, taking on all of the personalities of these people that are dying. And honestly... I don't know what the fuck happened <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> At, like, past that. I tried so hard to pay attention, and it could not grip my attention whatsoever. And it's like, it was to the point where I, I wasn't, I put my phone down because I was like, I don't want any distractions, and this is a movie where I'm going to zone out if I have any kind of distraction. I put my phone down, didn't have the computer by me, I'm paying full attention to this movie, and I'm still like, <laughs> zoning out and have no idea what the fuck's happening in this movie uh, it turns out that his friend was it Alex was his name Alex or a- uh, Alan was it out no fact checking for a friend hang on Alex yeah Alex. so it turns out that his friend Alex was the killer <laughs> but it's like he starts arguing like oh or no Alex is like I'll give you the same deal I gave your dad because oh by the way Bug's dad was the, the killer yeah the killer and it's like, was it? I don't know if it was supposed to be like this demon that was like trying to make a deal for the souls, or what I got out of it is the dad was he had some sort of like split personality or 
disassociative identity, something like that, where he had multiple personalities that all lived within him. What I gathered was when he died, all of the personalities that were in him went into the babies. Right. So each baby got one of the seven personalities that were living inside of him. All of the babies were born on the same night at the same time, and they were all born premature. So each one of them embodied one of the personalities. So as they start getting killed off, his son, which is Bug, starts getting all of the same personality, the the personalities of, I couldn't tell if it was the personalities that went into them or if he acquired those personality, he kind of made it sound like he got the personalities of the, the kids. I, I don't know. Like, because don't... they, he said that he could hear them like talking to him and they were telling him who killed them and like, yeah, or it was very, it was just so weird. I, it, there was no explanation. It was just like, this is happening, but like, we're not going to go into why it's happening, what's going on. And it was to the point, like it was revealed that Alex is the killer and he's like, I'm going to give you the same deal I gave your dad. 16 years ago and it's like well what was that deal who the fuck are you like what is <laughs> happening <laughs> um it, it there's so many missed opportunities also like i kind of got the impression about halfway through the movie that none of these seven characters existed and that bug just had the same disorder that his dad did the split personalities and i was kind of hoping for a reveal at the end that you know it was almost like I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the movie Identity with John Cusack, mm-hmm. um, the, there's, like, this multiple these multiple personalities, and they start killing each other off. Or, there's, like, one person killing them off, and that that's what I kind of got from this and what I was kind of hoping for for this. Like, if there was one personality that was a killer and it was killing off the other personalities to get, like, control of the, of the person, person, yeah. Um, but instead, I got this movie where you know there's these seven characters that are very important characters but there's nothing about them that made me care whatsoever happened what happened to them like there was no character development whatsoever even in bug who is like the main character there was no character development you all you got from it was his deterioration yeah you saw him go from like a, a, a shy kid that's kind of like an outcast to an angry, shy kid who's an outcast. <laughs> like, there was really no, like, build-up of, of who he was, or there, there was just no development. I think the only character that had, a, like, a very minuscule amount of development was his sister Fang. She, yeah. and all you got from her was, you saw her as a child, you saw that she witnessed, um, her dad tried to kill her, mm-hmm. and she witnessed her mom... I think, or no, she witnessed her dad get uh, shot, shot police, and yeah. the first time, and then you see her, and you don't even know that it's his sister until the end of the movie. Like really, like the last like what thirty minutes of the movie. I mean, I kind of assumed like you see her and she's there the whole time, and you're like, all right, that's yeah, I sister just, from the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like I, I don't know, like they there was just it, it, you just see her age really. I guess there's really no development with her either, other than. They give her a little bit of, like, um, they just kind of show her anger and, yeah. and her feelings towards him and, and the situation, so. Another thing with missed opportunities is there's the scene at the end where the only ones left are Bug and Alex, and it does the back and forth, and it, it almost gave me the same vibes as, like, Scream, where you're like, who's the killer? Yeah. And they both had valid arguments of, like, oh, this is why you're the killer, this is why you're the killer, and it left you guessing like okay well who's the killer but at this point i honestly didn't care who the killer was it was like okay it could be bug it could be alex like it's not really anything that has me on the edge of my seat wondering who the killer is i was really hoping it was the blind kid would have been i think that would have been the plot twist right there i just want to know i can't navigate from one side of my house to the other in the dark i want to know how that that guy got to the second story he was like, I climbed through the window. I was like, how the hell did you climb up that and get into the window? It was just a rope. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have, have fucked myself up. How do you know it was there to climb up to get to the second story? I, that's what I'm saying. Like, he was like, I climbed in the window. I was like, how the fuck did you get? How did you find it? 
how did you like it he just he navigated really well <laughs> i give him that much he navigated really well um <sighs> there were cringy script cringiness yeah. to the script and it's like i feel like a lot of it came from this guy who's he was like 70 something years old at the time writing the role of these teenagers yeah and i i feel like it a lot of it had to come from like like did you it i brought it up i think in the scream episode if not like it, it's a problem that i had with scream 4 is like i feel like west craven had no idea how teenagers actually were at the time and he tried to put on the same stigma as like 80s teens so there's like the popular girl yeah. and like the jockey douchebag guy and it's like Lines that you would almost see in, like, an 80s movie or, like, a 70s movie. Breakfast Club, like, set yeah. up. Yeah. No, I definitely got that. Um, but it made it, like, you're like, all right, this is fucking bad. And then, like, the whole middle of the movie is just, like, high school drama. It's like, oh, Bug's getting picked on, and this guy's the bully, and this is how they're messing with the bully to get payback. And they really like Britney, but Britney doesn't care about them. And I'm like... Dude, like nobody cares. This is not Degrassi. This is a fucking horror movie. <laughs> I think that the story was. I think that this the concept was there. Yes, the concept Absolutely. was there. The concept was strong. I think it was poorly executed. Yeah, and this is one where I don't want to see a remake at all. No, <laughs> but I would like to see somebody else's interpretation, perhaps, of the story. Mm-hmm. Or someone else's interpretation of... Uh, I wouldn't even want the script. I think the script needs to go, too. But the concept. I think that it would be interesting to see somebody take this this story, which is... It's a good story. Like, the idea is there. The idea is on point. And there's... I really feel like it could potentially be extremely strong, and it could be done well. And it has nothing to do... Honestly, I don't even... I, I think that it has to do with... The perhaps the age barrier, like you said, with with the audience that he's trying to in the the audience he's trying to reach with the movie in comparison to his age. So, like you were saying, Dylan, and like you touched on, I think that there's like almost like a a gap there, and it has a lot to do with with the age di- the age difference. And I think that if you gave this to somebody maybe more our age, and gave them that this idea and this concept, and you were like run with it, I think you would have gotten a totally different movie that was much more appealing than than how this was executed. I agree, and I mean, I, a lot of what I chalk this up to is like bad writing. Because as far as directing, it was done well. Yeah. The acting, the, the actors in the movie were fine. It was, they were given, I, in my opinion, a, a poor script to work with, but the acting was very well done. Um, there's Matt. I don't know. Their lines were definitely questionable. Well, yeah. But yeah, that's but that the script, though. The writing, that's, yeah. yeah, that's the writing. It's not the actor's fault. I mean, I think as far as, like, acting-wise, they, they did a pretty good job. There was they none were where, believable. There was none where I was like, yo, this is shitty acting. It was all like, yo, this is just shitty script. Max Theriot, Ther- mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but uh, he went on to do more roles uh, in horror also. Like, there was The House at the End of the Street. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the brother in Bates Motel. Yep. So, I mean, the, the potential's there, and Wes Craven was always known for casting these people who he felt were going to be standout actors. I mean, he discovered Johnny Depp, um, Sharon Stone, and even Bruce Willis. So, like, I feel like that this was his find of the generation, and I would like to see Max go on to do more horror movies or oh, more, yeah. more acting in general because he is a good actor. Um, but, I, yeah, I think overall it was just, like, in the worst way, a good idea, not executed well. No, I mean, there, there are people that like this movie, and I, there are elements of the movie to like. I mean, the setting was really great. The setting I think, was awesome. I think it was a really great, eerie town. I like that it took place by, like, a railroad track, and there was, you know, it it was the perfect setting to me to where you would have an urban legend like the one that they had with the killer. This had a good good use of lighting, too. Mm-hmm. This was another movie where it had a good use of that. And um, I don't have any real complaints with, like, um, 
music in it or anything like that. No. I, I think what the most... I think the biggest downfall of the movie was the script. Yeah. Definitely think it could have been done better. You guys want to get in ratings? Sure. Let's do this. Steven. You know, it's, it's crazy to see, like, all the past films that Wes Craven did and what a success they were and how well, like, the delivery was. And... I, you know, no disrespect because he is a legend and, uh, of course, surely missed um, since his passing. But I kind of got the vibe that he was out of touch. <coughs> so little out of touch. And I don't know how much, like, well, actually, wait, it was written by him. So clearly he had a lot to do with the script. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, like, one of the biggest flaws was the script. And the story kind of got confusing at times. You know, it had the potential, without a doubt, but it just, it didn't deliver, and it was really all over the place at times, and, like, I, I you know, I completely, like, moved my phone across, um, I remember, like, I first watched this movie on Video On Demand, and it was with a bunch of people, and I really wasn't into it, like, and I was uh, in multiple conversations, so I didn't really pay it that much mind, so, like, sitting down and, like, paying attention it was still just as hard almost to really get into it. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, this was just one of those, I guess, where he just missed the mark. And like I said, probably a little out of touch. So I'll have to give this rating uh, 2.5. All right. It was, it's not my favorite that we've watched. It's not, um, it, it had some, redeeming qualities in it um like like we've touched base on the the acting was good um this was my second time watching this <laughs> um and it it definitely didn't get easier or better <laughs> to watch a second time um but i did i sat i sat through it i definitely caught a lot more watching it the second time but I think that that's just because at this point, like, my brain, I've trained it to kind of, like, pick up on things that I normally wouldn't pay attention for or even look for when watching something. Um, I I did like, uh, like Dylan said, the setting was, was really on point. And I, I think that given different a different script or... I think maybe just even given uh, just a complete makeover and just given you know here's here's the story kind of like do what you will with it um you'd probably get something a lot different and i i would be really curious to kind of see how this was done not as a remake but as just the concept taken and made into a completely different film um but overall it's not one that i mean i guess if it's on and it's it's on netflix and you're bored and you just want to watch something go ahead go for it but um it it wasn't it wasn't a a knockout for me um to give it a 3.5 so touching on a little bit what you said steven like as far as Wes craven being like out of touch i don't know if i would say that exactly there was stuff that he was working on around this time that I did enjoy. Um, I, I I somewhat enjoyed Scream Four. I thought it was unique. Like it, it brought back to like <clears throat> what Scream did, but it did it with remakes, which I you know that's a that's a very interesting take to, to go about. Um, he also in two thousand six wrote the script for the movie Pulse, which I I enjoyed that movie. Um, but I don't know if I saw that one. It, it's pretty enjoyable. He wrote it with Vince Gilligan, who made um breaking bad okay so it, it's a pretty interesting movie it's not like the best but it, it was enjoyable but at the same time he also made you know in 2005 the movie cursed and i i can't do that movie either so it, i feel like it was very hit or miss towards the end of his career and with this one i feel like it was definitely a miss for me at least i know there are people that enjoyed it but there were redeeming qualities, like I had said, like the setting, um, the acting. Like There really wasn't anything that was terrible but the script, but the problem was the script was so poorly done, in my opinion, that it brought down the movie completely. This was my first time watching it because since it came out, I've heard nothing but terrible things about it. So I kind of just never gave it the time of day, and I can't really say that I would watch it again. So... <laughs> 
all in all, not the worst movie I've seen. Absolutely not the best. Uh, I'd probably give it like a, a three. So overall, that gives it an average rating of a three. That fits. Yeah. All right. I'll say this. I'll watch Terror Vision again before I watch this. Yeah, I, I think I'm on, on board with you with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Creep Show 3. <laughs> VHS 3. I didn't watch that. I wasn't on that episode. No, you didn't miss much. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. All right, guys, we want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who contributed Instagram ratings this week. Uh, we love hearing your guys' feedback on the films. Um, so if you aren't already, follow us on Instagram and let us know your opinions on our upcoming episodes. Uh, next week we're going to be covering a clown theme episode with Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Clown House, and Clown from, like, 20... The one that's produced by Eli Roth. Three different movies featuring clowns from three different eras, so it should be interesting. Hell yeah. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook at Horror Haven Podcast, uh, at Twitter, on Twitter at Horror underscore Haven. Uh, we're not really that active on Twitter because I'm terrible with Twitter, but yeah. So that's going to wrap it up. Hope you guys enjoyed, and have a good night. Have a good night. Peace. Later.